Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're starting a new series called Roots, A Journey Through Colossians. And uh, this is going to be a great series where we're going to learn about growing deeper in our faith, in our trust of Jesus Christ, learning what it means to be in Christ, uh, learning how to be rooted. In fact, if you're there at Colossians, just turn over and I'm going to read you the... Uh, I'm going to read you the, the key verse that I think is going to steer our journey, kind of lead our journey through the book of Colossians. And uh, I, want to, I want to draw your attention to it, chapter 2, verse 6. All right, and before we read it, let's pray. Father, would you give us instruction, give us revelation, give us encouragement, give us wisdom, God. Lord, help our lives to be rooted deeply in who you are. Help us to understand what this looks like. Help us to produce fruit. Lord, as we read the scripture, let it have its desired effect on us by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So look at this key verse, Colossians 2, verse 6 through 7. It says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Each of these words are pretty important. So this community at Colossae is, has received Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, we don't use the word Lord very often in our culture. Um, my wife does, uh, for me, but, um, you know, it's, yeah. I'm just kidding. No, she doesn't use that word for me, but we, we don't use it a lot uh, in this in this culture, but Paul knew what he was doing when he was writing this and talking about it. In fact, in many of his letters, you will see him use the word uh, Savior and Lord or Lord and Savior because he is kind of hitting at something that is in the culture to which he is writing. Because the Roman world at that time was led by a Caesar. And each Caesar almost thought of themselves as divine. In fact, some of them did legitimately think that they were divine, and so they would actually call themselves the Lord and Savior of the world, or the Savior and Lord of all the earth. And Paul is hitting on the culture that is surrounding them when he uses these terms, because he knows what will go, go into their mind. Oh, Caesar thinks he's Lord, but he's not. The Lord and the Savior of all is Jesus Christ himself. And so we, we tend to view these terms in, in a religious context when in reality, when Paul was writing them and he would say things like this, it would cut to the core of kind of their, their culture that they lived in. So he says, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord or Jesus as Lord, continue in him. What he's saying is you have to continue to grow. You have to continue on your way to understanding who he is. You have to continue becoming rooted. He says become, uh, continue to live in him. In a moment we'll read the, the, be the beginning of the, the verse, uh, or sorry, the first verse in the letter and you'll see that he says, I'm writing to you as believers in Colossae and as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's a literary device that Paul is using when he begins the letter. And he says, in Colossae, in Christ. 
He uses both of them. What he's saying is, you're in this city, but more importantly, you live in the sphere of Jesus Christ. Everything within you lives within him. Everything that's in you is in him. He lives in you. And all of your, um, all of your life, all of your daily routine, all of the things that you engage in routinely are in him. This is a big deal. This is a, we, we have, and, and I, don't think, I don't think it's a big deal to enough of us. We don't remember it throughout the day. The book of Colossians and this study is going to help us to understand how to grow deeper and deeper in him. Because verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him. Everybody say rooted. Rooted, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So, he, so what Paul is saying is you've been taught. But now you have to continue. You have to continue to define your world by being in him. And you have to receive the strength that only he can give you. Gives, that only he can give you. And that you must be overflowing with thankfulness. Now here's the thing. I think you automatically become overflowing with thankfulness if you understand how he has placed you in him. How he has changed your heart and your soul and your mind and your outlook. How he has rescued you from darkness and transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves, which is a phrase from this first chapter. When we understand that, thanksgiving is not just one of the many characteristics that we, you know, allow to invade our lives. I think it is the central characteristic. Third time through it, people. Give me a little break. It is the central characteristic of our lives because our lives are defined by Christ living in us and us living in him. That means thanksgiving begins to overflow and pour out everywhere. And so as we look at this, we can go to the, to the first chapter and go to the first verse and we're going to begin the letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. He was including Timothy in, the, the, in this letter, saying this letter is from both Paul and Timothy. Um, there are discussions about how this all worked, but what we do know is that Timothy was one, I mean, he, he was one of the primary uh, men on Paul's ministry team. In fact, he was a... Paul calls him his true son in the faith. And so uh, Timothy was not the only one. We're going to read about Epaphras uh, here in a moment. Epaphras was the one who most likely started the church in Colossae. And Colossae was about 100 miles, maybe 110 miles, I think, inland from Ephesus, which was right on the coast, the western side of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Have you, who's ever been to modern-day Turkey? Yeah, a whole bunch of you. It is a cool place. It is so rich in history. And one of the beautiful places to visit is Ephesus, where you can see all the ruins, and you can see the, the former temples, and you can see uh, some of the, 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 the leftovers from the city. It, 
in fact, one, at one point when we were there, we did a worship service in the amphitheater that the book of Acts talks about where they, they yelled in, in their uh, great is Diana of the Ephesians uh, for four hour, or for two hours. <laughs> so we did a little, we did a worship time in there for four hours because we wanted to double. God deserved double of Diana, you know. So, so, so if you can read about that, I think it's in, uh, I can't remember exactly where it is in Acts, maybe 16, 17, somewhere in there. And there's this, uh, there's this riot that almost takes place. So the city... The Colossian believers are in this little city about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. And it's uh, near a couple of other cities, Laodicea and Hierapolis, and both of those cities are mentioned here. Paul specifically says, you need to read this letter, not only to the church at Colossae, but to the church in Laodicea. So, most likely, this letter was carried along with a letter to Philemon. Philemon is a book of the Bible here, just a few chapters to the right. So, so you can see, Paul, Paul never visited, that we know of. He, didn't, he, hadn't, he hadn't yet met the Colossian believers at this point. He's writing because he's heard about them from Epaphras. And so he's heard about this fledgling community, this little group of believers in this city of, of no real importance. In fact, they can't find any ruins of this city. Most people think because it was built on a fault line and, uh, and an earthquake happened and ruined it and destroyed it and it, it wasn't able to be rebuilt. So all that's long gone. The city that had little importance, unim it was an unimportant city, but Paul writes this letter to them out of his concern. And he hears the story from Epaphras. He sends Epaphras back probably with Tychicus. That's another fun word to know and say. Tychicus, who, who they're probably delivering the letter. And so we can imagine, if you will, a little church plant like ours. And the Apostle Paul hears of our faithfulness and our love. And he writes to us, trying to encourage us. In fact, you think about the city of Colossae and the city of Austin, you will find some unique characteristics that they share. When you boil it down, um, you know, Austin has some challenges for us as believers. Uh, you know, its, it's city motto is not just a slogan. Um, Austin has some weird, eclectic elements to it. And spiritually, spiritually, it's, it's weird. It's got some, some issues as, as we look at it. And, and I'm just going to identify, I think, what are three ideas about the culture we live in. And I don't think this is especially unique of Austin. I think it, it, it reflects other cities as well. But I think Austin has an interesting cross-section. So one of the things that our American culture really reflects is a relative view of truth. A relative view, not an absolute view. We don't believe necessarily in absolute truth. What we believe is the truth for ourselves. To thine own heart be true. It's an old saying. To thine heart be true. Um, there's, a, there's a mentality that we all live the truth for us. And so I've heard it said, and it's becoming a slogan, you'll hear it increasingly, uh, you've got to live your own truth. You've got to live your own truth. Of course, it's a, a terrible way, I think, of living because there is no standard. 
there is no way to reflect what should and should not happen. Um, it is a it is a, only a truth that you define for yourself, and no one else can define it for you. And I think it's a problem. Number two is a synchronistic view. Synchronism is the idea of taking any all kinds of religions and putting them together and then fusing them together in one belief system and that's pretty strong in our city and in other cities in our American culture now the new age influence is uh, quite uh, dominant and everybody thinks that they're spiritual nobody wants to be religious right so everybody loves God nobody loves his people <laughs> right they don't like his family so so they all like, you know, I'm spiritual, you know. And, but but what the, the way that comes into it, we mix together all these belief systems, all kinds of ideas to form our relative truth, how we perceive the world. And then I think thirdly is a consumeristic view. And I think actually a lot of Christians are guilty of this. is a consumeristic view, which is, I believe the stuff that makes me feel good. I believe the things from the Bible that give me comfort and strength and make me uh, fulfilled. But anything that kind of makes me uncomfortable or causes any pain or has anything to do with stuff that upsets me, I don't really, I don't buy into that. That's a consumeristic view of Christianity or of any other religion. And most of us live this way. In, a, in American culture is what I'm saying. In our, our American culture reflects one of these three. And it is similar to what was happening uh, to the Colossian believers. I think, I think their primary influence were the, the Jewish, there was a Jewish group of people that were putting pressure on the Christians because at this particular time, Christianity was still sort of seen as a maybe even a, a sect or a branch, a break off of Judaism. So there's a lot of pressure to conform to some of the Old Testament scriptures. So, so here's our context, all right? Here's our context. Here's who Paul's writing to. And here's why he's writing. And as he begins the journey, he says, I'm writing with my brother Timothy to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. You will find that in many of Paul's letters there is an opening greeting that is similar, but then he will launch into a prayer, and the prayer often has very unique elements applying to those people. And that's the case here as he begins to offer a thanksgiving prayer. Verse 3 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over this world, this gospel is bearing fruit. If you got your pen, you should underline that phrase right there. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Bearing fruit and growing. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, uh, 
who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. We're going to pause right here. The next section is really all about Paul praying for what he desires for these believers. And he's praying, he's asking that God will take them further than the faithfulness and love that they've demonstrated so far. There is, a, I think, a sense at which when we come to Christ, many come to him and they pray the prayer and then they think they're in. We're in. It's fire insurance. So they don't have to go to hell. And then there's nothing kind of left to do. We just kind of, you know, God kind of has his way the best he can, you know, with what I'm doing. Um, and that's an inaccurate view of Christianity. It's an inaccurate view of following Christ. There's another view that is on the other side of the equation that is you sort of never stop uh, sort of pleasing him and making sure you do stuff for him and... <laughs> And you got to do stuff in order to, for him to keep liking you. Nobody ever says it like that, of course. They just preach it so hard that you end up feeling like you're not as good of a Christian as you once were. And of course, that's not the way Christianity works either. There is this tension and this blending of the world's of trusting in the wonderful grace of Christ Jesus in all of its truth, as Paul says. And then there is a further growth and development and maturity and perspective and picture of what God wants us to see. He wants us to see that there is so much, so much wonder, so much more, so much that we need to be rooted in so we'll think correctly. So much that we need to grow in and dig our roots down deep so that the fruit that comes up can be really beautiful and we can share it with others and it is healthy and strong and growing. This is what he says. This is how the gospel works all over the world. I was following the Instagram posts uh, with what's going on in Kiev, in, the, in Ukraine. You've seen it on the news maybe. And, and there, there people are dying and there's rioting in the streets and all this is going on. And, and Kiev Hillsong is right in the middle of it. They have a huge church there. And they're praying for each other and they're communicating back and forth. It is incredible what social media has done for the gospel and the sharing among believers all over the world. Believers all over the world are suffering today and we should be mindful of them. We should be aware of them and we will be as we grow further rooted in a perspective, in a viewpoint that comes only from Christ and not from CNN and not from our uh, career and not from uh, our city. What what uh, Paul is trying to encourage them is, is he's saying, you've had faithfulness, you've been faithful in your short journey. <laughs> That's kind of what I want to say to you, One Chapel. You've been faithful in your short journey. And I think you love each other. There's only a few of you that don't love each other. <laughs> but, you, but love is a characteristic, I think, of our community here. 
But here's the thing, we have to grow beyond just loving each other to, to growing deep into who Christ is and who he wants us to be in him. So, I have a confession to make. My yard at my house looks terrible. It is, it's, it's like a barren wasteland. It is, it is like, uh, I mean, I mean, I have, I have a neighbor who has a brilliant lawn. His name is Jeff. I hate him. I don't hate him. I love him. But he, it's, it's, he, his lawn is perfect. It's manicured perfectly. He has no weeds. I have many weeds. He is like an, his lawn is, I mean, and it's kind of brown right now, but it's perfect brown. Right? It's like, what, what, how does he do this? And, well, he works on it, um, which is what I don't do. And so, but he, he, it's, his, his lawn is like an oasis in the middle of the desert. And my lawn is like the desert with weeds growing. I was going to show, show it to you. Here's my little house. All right, you don't really notice it right up front because, it's, and this is interesting, just, this is interesting. Um, there's, there's really, when you drive by people's houses, you don't immediately notice the lawns. What you notice is it looks generally okay, but as you get up close to it, it is nasty. All the green you see is not grass. They're weeds. <laughs> All the green is weeds. All of the grass. See these, see these, uh, these uh, rocks right here? My kids take those rocks and throw them all over our yard. And they throw them in the neighbor's yard trying to hit squirrels and stuff like that. It's crazy. Yeah, so, so oh, there's, there's some beautiful. There's, that's my flower bed. It's been, it's been neglected. It looks awful. I killed all those weeds this week. I killed all those weeds this week. Here's some more of my desert. See all those green spots? You know what those green spots are? Weeds. What's up with the weeds? They seem to grow. There they are. See, I went and killed them. I sprayed stuff on them, and they, they're dying right now. It's really awesome. <laughs> and so yeah, that's enough, Kate. That, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Here's, here's, what I want, here's what I want you to see. Our lives in Christ only grow roots if we tend it and care for it. If we cultivate our faith if we cultivate in our community together in the scriptures by the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit is a huge part of the book of Colossians. You will hear, you will see Paul talking about it over and over again. You will hear him talking about growing and producing fruit. The goal of our church is to produce fruit, not only in our lives, but new believers all over the place. People who discover who Jesus is. How do they discover who Jesus is? They see the fruit that happens in our lives. When you're, when you're driving past the, the lawns, my lawn and Jeff's lawn, they don't look too much different, but as you get up close, they look really different. And I think that's sometimes how it is with us. People, when they see you from a distance, oh, he, he's, he's a nice guy, he's believe some good things, it's great, but then you get closer and closer to your life, and the question is, what kind of fruit is really being produced under close inspection? Under close inspection, what, what kind of fruit is really being produced? And here's a big question for all of us, is anyone close enough to see that fruit? Or do they just drive by from the street and think everything's okay? 
We have to be thinking about this and we have to understand that this is what the Apostle Paul is longing for in the Colossian believers. He's longing for deeper and deeper connection with Christ. And he's longing for rootedness. If you look over at Mark chapter 4, we'll just read this real quick. This is Jesus telling one of his parables about a seed and the sower. And so if you look there at Mark chapter 4 and you look in verse 3, uh, I'll, I'll read portion of it to you. He says, uh, listen, Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow a seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Everybody say root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60 or even 100 times. The disciples asked him about this parable and they, they were trying to figure it out. So in verse 13 he says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So he begins to define it for them. All right? So if you're taking notes, let me just give you, so you can, so you can kind of go with me. The farmer right, is the sower, the one who is sowing the seed. And then the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word. By the way, is there anything wrong with the seed there's nothing wrong with the seed. So that's, that means it's all about the soil. And so different people are the soil. So it's all about the soil of people's hearts. So here he is. He says, um, verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. If you pause right here, he said the birds come and they pick up the the seed and it goes away. But he talked about a path. When you're planting seed, you will walk a path and plant on either side of the path. If, if you're using uh, oxen or, or something to pull and till the soil, then you're going to till up one piece of the soil and then you will, you'll walk on a, on a portion that doesn't get tilled up or you'll, you'll put the seed in there and then you kind of push it over but then you'll walk on the other side. And as you walk through those lanes where you're planting, what you find is that that path gets pushed down. It gets flattened. It gets compacted. It gets hard. It breaks down. The soil just, just breaking. And much like people who they are pushed down, their hearts have been hurt, hardened by others, by others walking over them, by others pushing on them, by others wounding them. You see, many people, their hearts are totally defensive to the message of the gospel. Totally defensive. Religious people can be just as defensive to the message of the truth of the gospel as anybody else. And they won't let it in. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about that kind of hardness of heart. And so he explains the next one in verse 16. He says, others like seed, oh, so, sorry. So Satan comes, and the seed never gets a chance to get in, and he just, he steals it. 
he steals, he just takes away. Their, their, their lives are so involved in all kinds of activities where the devil is active and, and can just take it away. And then verse 16 says, Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. These are the happy, clappy Christians. <laughs> These are the people that are a little too happy. And then next week you find them trying to scrape their lives up off the cement. Right? This, this back and forth thing that happens to, to people. Like seeds sown on rocky places, they, they have rocks all around in their heart. And once they receive the word with joy and they're excited about it, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. They have no rootedness. They're, in, in the first story that Jesus told, where he just told the parable, he said it's, the soil was shallow. I don't want to be too mean here, but shallow people have a hard time accepting the depth and truth of the gospel. If your values are all about shallowness, your values are all about you, values are all about what kind of life you can live and what, how you can get pleasure out of everything in your life, you live a shallow life. And, 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 and frankly, a lot of believers, that's, they... they <laughs> They come to a knowledge of Jesus, but they never articulate Jesus as Lord, as the ruler. So Paul is concerned about this in the, with the Colossian believers. He wants them to grow deeper. And then Jesus, in this story, he's talking about this kind of shallowness, this kind of lack of rootedness. And then he finally gets to the last illustration. Well, here's the finish of 17. He says, when trouble or persecution comes... Because of the word, they quickly fall away. And I see this over and over again in our society. Listen, in our society, Christians, believers, people who believe God's word, and people who trust in Jesus are being ridiculed in a greater way than they have in the last 50 years. Now, it's not the first time Christians have been ridiculed, right? We have to remember that we have suffering brothers and sisters being persecuted all over the world today. Uh, in Syria, there's a, there's a fledgling church that is struggling under the, under the weight of the persecution going on there and all of the upheaval and the, and the tyranny that's happening in that city, in that state, and we need, in, in that nation, and we need to pray for them. But I want to draw your attention to the idea that Christians and believers, they have to have deep rootedness because there is no way around, around it. You will be pushed, pressured by others. You will be taken advantage of. There will be pressure that comes and you have to be ready for it. In, in the Roman world about the time or near the time that the book of Colossians might have been written, there were outposts everywhere in Roman 
society. Rome had taken over, and so they, they, took, they would take over a people group, or they'd take over a certain plot of land, and then they would establish their outpost, and when they came into a city or a certain place, and they'd say, uh, they would say, you, we want you to worship as you have worshiped. Keep your temples and all that kind of thing. In fact, here's some of ours. And, and they would encourage the whole Greek pantheon of, of, uh, of their own gods and introduce them into the, the, the culture. They didn't care about people and the, the gods that they worshipped. They encouraged it. What they wanted was their tax money. Right? They wanted their taxes, and that, that's and so they, then they would put people in charge who knew those people. They had an elaborate system of taking over, and as they did, <clears throat> at some point in that in that um, time period, the idea of multiple gods was so prevalent that two groups of people started standing out. It'd be the Jewish people and the and the Christians who kind of branched off of it. And Christians in, in one time period were actually known, I was reading this the other day, they actually called atheists because they wouldn't believe in all the gods. Isn't that interesting? They wouldn't believe in all the gods. They, they stick to one god. That is incredibly intolerant. Here's what I want you to understand. This, the, the, these things have happened before. No matter what happens in our country, no matter, no, no matter how we get treated in our country, especially if people begin to criticize and make fun and then persecute. If that happens, we are going to need to be rooted rooted so deeply that we realize they, they can touch our bodies and they can, they can change our laws and they can change our environment but they can't touch the kingdom of God that lives in here listen we, we have to do a good job of speaking into people's lives we have to do a, a, a great job of being gentle with the gospel message of sharing it in, in love and honesty but there's no guarantee that our kids won't suffer some kind of real persecution. That we won't ourselves before we, before we leave this earth. What Jesus is saying here is when, they, when you get persecuted, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, because of what you believe, they just fade away. Because they're too shallow. Finally, verse 18, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Making it unfruitful. I, I think most believers in American culture tend to fall in this category. Our lives are so busy, everything's going so fast, the pace is so quick. Every, I mean, we just, we believe a certain thing. I mean, you know that biblical literacy is at an all-time low in American culture. We just don't have time for all the information. Isn't it interesting that with the massive amounts of information that we have access to, it's not necessarily making us wiser. It's not information we really need. It's revelation, it's understanding. Je Jesus says here that 
when the when the seed is planted among thorns, that the thorns grow up, and and the concern and the anxieties and the deceitfulness of wealth gets inside. The desires for other things come and choke out the word, and we just don't make Jesus the center anymore. So, why is this such a big deal? Because Jesus says in Matthew 7, a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit, but a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And a good tree can't produce, doesn't produce bad fruit. What we have to understand is the fruit is going to come from what's going on in the root. And if we can do that, if we can, if we can deepen our roots together as a community over the next few weeks and months, as we live together, what we see in Colossians, go back to Colossians, is that, is that Paul is praying for them to understand more. Love is the first fruit or sign of the gospel taking root. He sees their love. He's heard about their love from Epaphras. But in verse 9, he starts a prayer that is so rich. I'm just going to read it to you. That's all we have time for. And then I'm going to finish. And I want you to think about the fact that this is what I believe for you. This is what I pray for you as your pastor. I can't make the kingdom of God grow in you. That's totally God's business. The seed is his thing, and, and the seed grows in all kinds of places under God's direction and provision. In fact, Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered, and God gives the increase. Right? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant, and I'm going to water, and I'm going to stir up the soil around you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push a little bit, and I'm going to challenge you, and I'll fertilize And, there, and, and you won't like some of it. But it'll be good for you. Because it's, it's causing the roots to grow down deep. Look at this prayer, verse 9. It says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. All spiritual wisdom, those are two different phrases, two different ideas there. One has to do with the basics of truth. The knowledge of first principles is what you would call it. It would be the idea of, of the truth about God, you understand it, you know it. That's what that spiritual wisdom would be. But then the, the, the next word kind of leans a different way. It learns towards application. The next word is understanding. That's why they're put together. And so understanding is applying the truth, the ability to apply to any circumstance. Here's what the Apostle Paul is praying for him, that you'd have the ability to apply the power of God, the Spirit of God in any situation. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. <sighs> what a phrase. Ephesians talks about being worthy of the calling, but this here is worthy of the Lord. And may please him in every way. Bear, and then he gives four ways that we bear fruit. And we'll probably talk about this next week. Bearing fruit in every good work. That means, that means everywhere that you go, you are bearing fruit. Work is not about you making money. It's about the kingdom of God and where, whether it can expand. Your children are not about making you look good as parents. <laughs> do you, I mean, do you do 
experience this probably as parents. I know we do. We're like, oh, my kids are so embarrassing. We need to, we need to train them. We, that, that, that's training them for your sake, not for their sake. Some of you need to train your kids more. But, but what I'm saying is, what, you're not embarrassed enough. So, so what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is there's a, there's a dynamic here where you, you, we tend to do things in our own mind, but when, when God grows you deep roots, when you grow deep roots in him, you start seeing the world from his perspective, and everything you're doing is bearing fruit. You're bearing fruit at work. You're bearing fruit in your family. The reason for raising your kids is the fruit of the kingdom of God. Is your, it, your best opportunity for that is in your children. And everything we're doing is causing fruit to come out. And as you're bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Paul has a lot of run-on sentences. But they are deep true meaty sentences that have so much in it they're rich and so we're going to we're going to we're going to explore them let's finish it out here just this little section he says for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins close your eyes bow your head i want you to think about what your life is producing is there fruit that you can see Is the fruit bad? Maybe some of you are here and you're just like, yeah, man, my, the fruit of my life is awful. It's, it, I mean, my marriage is a mess and my kids are a mess and my, 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 I can't seem to keep a job. And this is the fruit of my life. It's just, it's bad. I need, I need a different route. I wonder if you'd come to Jesus today and say, take over. Take over. I want you to think about something. In Jesus' parable, he talked about four different kinds of people, but I think it's deeper than that. I think we can have those characteristics in areas of each of our lives. I think in some areas of our lives, we can be hurt and wounded so badly that we don't let the seed of the word of God in. Everything's become compacted and our hearts are hardened in that area. Maybe in another area, you just everything's shallow Maybe in another area you feel the, the anxiety and the busyness choking everything out. It, you don't have, it doesn't describe a person as much as it describes areas of our lives and our hearts. I wonder if you'd be willing to surrender everything to him today. Maybe it's the first time you've ever done that. Maybe it's the 150th time you've ever done that. Either way, it's a good decision. Either way, it's the right decision. I wonder if you'd join me in a prayer. Join me in a prayer to ask God to forgive you of your sins, your foolishness and rejecting him, and maybe learning, beginning the process of growing in him, in him, in Christ. Letting him take over in your life. 
If you're interested in that, I, I, I want you to join me in a prayer. In fact, let's, let's pray it all over the room. I, I think all of us understand that there, there are areas in our lives that we need to give away to God today. So I, I want you to join me, everybody in this prayer. And just repeat these words after me. Let's pray this together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who forgives me, heals me, changes me, redirects me. Forgive me, Lord for doing my own thing. Forgive me for the hardness of my heart. Forgive me for being shallow. I want to grow deep in you. I want to grow deeper in you. So heal me. Help me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. I submit to you. I surrender to you. I give everything to you. Come and lead me. I choose you. Father, I pray this prayer that we're praying today would be powerful. It would have its desired effect in our minds and in our hearts and that we would be able to take what we've heard today and what the decision we've made today and that we would surrender to your process of growth, of growing deeper in you and becoming more fruitful. We thank you for this. We thank you for giving us a new start, a fresh start today. Thank you for forgiveness and how wonderful it is that you've transferred us from darkness into the kingdom of light. Thank you for that today. We love you. We honor you. We follow you in Jesus' name.